words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. It's really good to be back with you today after two weeks away. And I uh, want to thank Todd and Patrick for filling in while I was away. They did a wonderful job. I listened to the sermons online. And uh, Patrick was, was, was great and succinct. And I'm not going to be as succinct, I don't think, today <laughs> as you were. So I apologize ahead of time. Maybe he spoiled you. I got to get back into the swing of things here. But uh, we were gone for two weeks, and uh, part of that, a small part of that at the front end was um, being in Wheaton, Illinois, for the provincial gathering uh, for the Anglican Church of North America. That's a three, it's a triannual thing, it's every three years, and um, people come from all over the country and all over the world, really, to be part of this gathering. There was over 1,000 people there. I think 1,400 was the official count. And uh, it was just a time of inspiration and instruction. It was a good time. And then we got to spend some time with Josie's family in McHenry, Illinois, northern Illinois, where she's from. And she's still there uh, with the kids. But um, family and then extended family came in. So when you're around family you haven't seen for a while, you realize that something that binds you together with that family is your shared experience. And um, shared stories, for example, um, inside jokes that only people in the family think funny because they get it. They, they know what the reference is. Uh, so there are, there are common stories and jokes and, and even in some family favorite movies that have to be watched when you're together. My mother-in-law likes to bring out Meet Me in St. Louis when we go up there. <laughs> and not only because we're from St. Louis, but she loves that movie and she thinks my kids should know that movie. Um, Another movie that that side of the family always references, it seems, is Moonstruck with Cher, and I think that has to do with the Italian-American heritage. I don't quite get it, but, you know, (laughs) there'll be a conversation, and somebody will say a line from Moonstruck, and everybody will laugh, and so we share these experiences. Families share difficult things, uh, grief, and pain. And last week was the one-year anniversary of the death of Josie's grandmother, who was kind of the matriarch of that family. So we talked a lot about her and, and grieved together. But that's how family identity is shaped, by these common sets of experiences, these shared experiences. And it's the same way in the family of God, the family of faith. We have common stories that shape us, that give us orientation, that locate us, that that situate us as we go through this life. And there are common experiences that the people of God go through. And there are common difficulties that the people of God go through. And we see that in the scripture. And that's what I want to talk to you today about out of our reading from Genesis. So if if you would like, I think it'd be helpful just to keep open our Genesis reading And as we talk about this, I wonder if you can see something of your experience in the story of this family, of Isaac and Rebekah. There are some things here that are just what happens when you're part of the family of faith, some experiences that we go through. 
And one of those experiences is an experience of, of powerlessness, a realization of powerlessness, of barrenness. We learn at the beginning of this story that Isaac's wife, he took a wife when he was 40 years old, Rebecca, and she was barren, it says. Isaac and Rebekah had been called by God to father a, a nation. A promise was given to Isaac's father, Abraham. I'm going to make a great nation out of your descendants. So from the line of Abraham and Isaac would come this great nation that would bless all the nations of the world. This was God's promise to them. But they were powerless in themselves to fulfill it because she was barren. And, of course, that was the experience of Abraham and Sarah, we remember. Isaac's parents went through the same thing. God promised that he would give Sarah a son. Sarah laughed because she was past childbearing years. They couldn't accomplish this on their own, in their own strength. And this is a common experience for people of faith that I am powerless to accomplish what God has called me to do in myself. And I don't have the power to make God's promises happen. I'm completely reliant upon him. And so, for example, the children that have been entrusted to us in our families, entrusted to parents and, and grandparents and aunts and uncles, we as believers are called to raise these children in the faith, in the fear and nurture of the Lord. And there's some things that we can do and that we ought to do to help raise these children in the faith. But we don't have the power to change their hearts. I pray all the time that my children would grow up with a heart for the Lord. That God would make their hearts soft towards the things of God. Because I realize I, I can teach them the Bible. I can have family devotions. I can bring them to church and they have to come to church but I can't change their heart. I don't have that kind of power. I'm, I'm barren when it comes to that. We get a diagnosis from the doctor, a hard diagnosis, a dreaded diagnosis, and we hope in that moment for healing. And in that moment, we face our own mortality, and we need hope in that time. But in ourselves, we're barren. We're powerless. God calls us to a ministry. God gives us a vision to, to make a difference for his glory in the world. But time and time again, we face hurdles and roadblocks, and we get frustrated. We get frustrated with people, and we get frustrated with the church, and we get frustrated with ourselves, and we think, how is this going to happen? How is this going to come to fruition? God, I believe you gave me this vision and this calling. God brings us to a place of barrenness. Well, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah. This is part of what God does in our lives. This is what God teaches his people over and over and over again. You don't have the power. You don't have the resources in yourself. It's my plan. It's my purpose. It's my promises. It's my power that's going to accomplish it. And I'm just looking for partners who understand that. This is how the kingdom of God spreads, as people understand 
their barrenness, their weakness, God's strength is made powerful in that place. And that's what the Apostle Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He had that experience of the thorn in the flesh, remember that? And he prayed to the Lord three times that this thorn would be removed. But the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. And then Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ will rest upon me. If you want more of the power of Christ in your life, it's about coming to a place and admitting, Lord, I'm helpless. I'm not going to boast in my strength. I'm coming to a place of recognizing you've you've got to do it. And Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. The Lord brought Paul to that place of weakness. Jesus said to his disciples in John, I believe it is chapter 15, apart from me, you can't do it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. In our gospel reading, Jesus says, It is the word, it is the seed, it is the word of the kingdom that brings fruitfulness. It's the word of Christ, it comes outside of us. We have to be receptive soil. It's not in us, it's in Christ, it's in his power, it's in his word. And so we come to this place of barrenness, and it gives God then an opportunity to work in us. And out of this experience of barrenness, Isaac prays to the Lord. It says, he prayed to the Lord for his wife. A great example of a husband praying for his wife. A great example to us, those of us who are husbands. He saw his wife was barren, and he prayed to the Lord for his wife. And then it says, the Lord granted his prayer, and his wife conceived. And that makes it sound like it just happened right then and there. And wouldn't that be great if all prayers were answered in that way? Immediate answer to a prayer. Zap, bam, boom. God immediately healed her and opened her womb. But that's not what happened. If you you read this a little more carefully, if you picked up this little detail in verse 26, these stories are full of little details that matter a great deal. There's a lot of artistry in these stories. Well, verse 26, it says, listen to this, Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. He married her at 40, and he started praying. And it didn't happen until he was 60. For 20 years, Isaac prayed about the same thing. For 20 years, he stood on God's promise. God, you promised descendants. It's not happening, but you promised So he prayed and he pleaded and he lifted his wife up to the Lord. And in God's own time, in his own way, 20 years later, he heard and answered the prayer. And I don't know what it is in your life that you've been praying for for a long time. And I don't know what it is in your life that you've given up praying for, possibly, because you think it's just not going to happen. I've prayed too long. But I hope Isaac encourages you to keep at it. A a prayer of persistent faith. That is a mark of of the family of God. And um, 
And we see that happening, that out of the desperation, he prays to the Lord. And that is a mark of being part of the family of God. Um, Paul Miller, in one of my favorite books on prayer, writes these words. These are convicting words. They convict me. He says, if you're not praying, then you're quietly confident in time, money, and talent is all that you need in life. If you're not praying, then you're quietly confident that all you need in this life is your, your money, your talent, and some more time. And if that's the situation that you're in, Paul Miller says, you're probably always going to be a little too busy and a little too stressed out and a little too tired because it all depends upon you. And Jesus wants us to come to this place where we understand it depends upon him. We've got to get to this place of helplessness and understand that that's when the Lord can begin to work. So we see Rebecca also praying out of out of a place of difficulty, out of a place of suffering. She finally conceives, and then the pregnancy is difficult. And in the midst of this difficulty, the children struggling together within her, verse 22, she says, have you ever said this? Why is this happening to me? (laughs) That's the universal question in the midst of suffering. Why? But she does the thing that the people of God have to do. She brought it to the Lord. She inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, verse 23, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. And and that raises for me another one of these common experiences of the people of God. And that is this sense of division, of tension between those who are in the family of God and those who are outside the family of God. It's a painful experience. But this this sense of division, of tension with those who are are not in the family, who don't have the same vision, who don't have the same faith and hopes. Jacob and Esau represent that division. This, This narrative talks about how they're so different from one another. And Jacob, and we'll get to this in a minute, who's certainly not perfect. I mean, the guy is a a conniver. He's a scoundrel. God's got a lot of work to do in Jacob's life. But he had this faith, as imperfect as it was. He had faith in the promises of God. And Jacob represents Israel, the covenant people of God. And from Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob represents the covenant people of God who are living by the promises of God. And Esau, on the other hand, represents somebody who's going in a different direction. Esau represents the the ungodly, the unholy. The writer of Hebrews calls Esau unholy. And from Esau come the Edomites, who were enemies of Israel, perennial enemies of Israel, the Edomites. So Esau represents ungodly, unholy, the Edomites. Jacob represents the covenant people of God, Israel. And you see in this story, the differences come out. Jacob is more domestic, more cultured, more civilized, a bit of a mama's boy. And Esau is a hunter. He's from the fields. And he comes in from the field and he's famished. And, and he blurts out, he blurts out to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, verse 30, for I'm exhausted. For his name was called, therefore, Edom, which sounds like red in Hebrew. 
But let me eat some of that red soup. In, in, in Hebrew, it's, it's more rough. Um, a more literal, literal translation is, let me get some of that red, red stuff. Red stuff, red stuff. Um, he, he's, he just can't even, he's in such a desperate situation, and he's so crude, he doesn't even get the word right. Red stuff. And uh, so Jacob sees an opportunity, and he says, okay, sell me your birthright. And Esau plunges ahead. I'm dying, what use is the birthright to me? And verse 34 says that Esau despised his birthright, all for some of that red stuff, to satisfy his immediate cravings, his immediate desires. He despised the birthright, and somehow that birthright, and it was owed to him because he's the firstborn. And in that culture, the firstborn inherits the father's estate, and uh, especially when there's only two, and it just all goes to the firstborn. And so um, attached to that birthright is the promise that God gave Abraham and, and, and Isaac, the promise of land, the promise that your descendants are going to be a great nation, the promise that this nation is going to bless the world. And Esau gave it up just like that because of his desire to have his immediate needs satisfied. So you have these two kinds of people. Esau, who's living for the moment, and Jacob, however terrible he is in terms of his character and however terrible it is the way he went about it, Jacob believes in the promise of God, knows it's precious, and wants that blessing. He has a vision for the future. Esau's about immediate gratification. Two different kinds of people. Two different spiritual temperaments here. And there's going to be tension, and it's inevitable. And haven't you experienced that in your own life, in your own walk of faith? I was talking to somebody recently about a friend, a close friend they have. They have a lot in common, but they don't have the most important thing in common. And that is, her friend is an unbeliever, uh, not a Christian. And she said to me, we, we have a different value system. We have different worldviews. We see life differently. We don't always talk about it, but it's there. It's always there under the surface, and it's a painful tension. And that's part of what it means to be on this journey of faith. It's painful, but it's inevitable. And, of course, what we do is we pray for those people who don't believe, and we long to be reconciled to them, and we long to embrace them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And what's beautiful about this Jacob and Esau story is eventually they are reconciled that they, 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 they hug and they weep and they embrace each other. And that's what we long to see happening with those who are living a different way than we're living. But the tension is there. We're aliens and strangers in this world. This is an Esau-like world. This is an Esau-like culture. And we're the covenant people of God. So there's going to be this tension and the problem is, is that when we don't understand that, when we don't understand that this is just part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be in the family of God, that when the tension gets really difficult, as it sometimes gets in this culture, then people began to fly the 
white flag of compromise. And they say, I've had enough. And we've seen that happen. Christians who say, I've had enough of the tension. I've had enough of being the oddball. Churches who eventually get worn down and say, okay, we're just going to go along with what the culture says instead of taking their stand as the people of God, as the pilgrim people of God. But that's who we are. That's who we're called to be. That's part of being in the family of God. You really can't be comfortable completely in an Esau-like culture when you're living for the promises of God. Just not possible. And then there's one final thing that I want to point out that's a common experience, and this is a positive one. I know I've been dwelling on some heavy stuff. A positive one is we have all experienced the grace of God, and we're part of the family because of the grace of God. Jacob didn't deserve this blessing. Jacob was not the firstborn. The blessing was supposed to go to the firstborn. That was his right. That was Esau's right. But God overturned it. Why? Because Jacob was such a good guy? No. (laughs) There's nothing commendable about Jacob's character. It says that he was a heel grabber. That's part of what his name means. He's the kind of guy who'd sneak up, grab your heel, watch you fall, and laugh at you. That's where he's at at this point in his life. God's got a lot of work to do on Jacob's character. His name means a heel grabber. A deceiver. God didn't choose him because he was good. God chose him out of sheer grace. It was a gift. And then God began to work on his character and make him better as a person. But the basis was grace. And when the nation of Israel read this story, they could see themselves in Jacob. They could say, you know what, we're... We've been blessed as a nation. We're the people of God, but we've not been faithful to God. We don't deserve, we're not the mightiest nation. Why do we even exist? Why has God blessed us? Why has God called us to this mission to be a blessing to the rest of the world? It's only because of grace. It's a gift. And so we ought to live our life in gratitude to what God has done for us. And we can say the same thing, brothers and sisters, can't we? I'm in the family of God, not because I'm better than anybody else or smarter than anybody else. I didn't earn my right to be here. I didn't earn my place. God reached out to me with his grace and mercy. I had an interesting experience when I was up in McHenry, Illinois, with my in-laws. This conference that we went to, this provincial council, the theme of the council was mission on our doorstep. And so the point was, Churches, look around you, just look out the neighborhood and, and look at the community and see that there are people who need the gospel. Begin to pray about that, and, and it's right there on your doorstep. So that was the theme of the conference. Well, I get home, and a couple days later, I get to the mother-in-law's house, and um, I'm outside playing catch with Noah in the yard, and here comes this young man, 20-something, going door to door, and he's selling newspaper subscription, and he's coming to our doorstep. And I heard kind of this prompting, well, (laughs) the mission's on your doorstep, and I'm bringing you somebody right now. What are you going to do about it? And so uh, a lot of times, I I hate to admit it, I'm ashamed to admit it, a lot of times I kind of try to ignore those promptings. But I couldn't ignore this. 
It was right on my doorstep. Plus, I was in another town. Nobody knows me there. You know, what do I got to lose? It's easier to witness in another town. You know, this is one thing that's appealing about missions somewhere else. Evangelism somewhere else. Um, But here he comes, and so I said, um, you know, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm a pastor, and I just like to find out what people are thinking about different things. Sure, he said. So we got into this conversation. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about the Bible? And a little bit about his beliefs and shared some things about the gospel. And I hope I planted some seeds and I walked away. And that's what I prayed, that God, you just use this conversation, plant some seeds in this young man's life. He was very smart. He asked very good questions. And, uh, but I also walked away and, and I thought about this. What makes me different from that young man at his age? When I was that age, what makes me any different? Only the grace of God. I, I, I was raised in a Christian home. I didn't ask for that. I was raised by parents who loved Jesus. I've been surrounded by people who love the Bible, who've taught me the Bible. I have friends who encourage me in the faith. I've had opportunities to study the Word of God at a deep level. I've had experiences with the Lord and His presence that are just the sheer mercy of God. I didn't deserve any of it. I'm here in the family. Because of the grace of God. I've been Jacob-like. I've been Esau-like. But God's grace has triumphed in my life. Anybody else can say that? God's grace has triumphed in my life. And ultimately, the triumph of God's grace and God's purpose in Jacob's life leads us to Jesus Christ. Jesus, of course, comes from the line of Jacob. And here's something that, that's really cool. You know, when, Jacob, when Jesus was born, rather, when Jesus was born, Herod was on the throne. Herod was from the line of Esau. Herod was an Edomite. And Herod heard that this Messiah, this king, was being born in his neck of the woods, and he was threatened by this Messiah. And Herod, the Edomite, said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem. I have the power to stop this king. But he didn't have the power. He didn't succeed. God's plan, God's gracious purposes went forward in Jesus Christ. God's grace triumphed once again. And we're part of this family, friends, where, yes, we experience barrenness and powerlessness and suffering that teaches us dependence that manifests itself through prayer we're part of this family where we experience weakness and we experience tension with the culture but ultimately we've been brought here by grace and grace is going to get us home praise god are you grateful for that the triumph of grace in our life let's pray We thank you, God, that you call us to your family. And uh, I pray that we would reflect on how we fit into this story at this season of our life, at this time in our life. And I pray for those who, who maybe don't feel necessarily the connection or feel a, a compulsion to, to greater faith in you, God. I pray that you will 
reveal yourself to them and that they will find in Jesus Christ the offer of grace and hope that they're looking for. Help us to say yes to you. Help us to say yes to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.